Welcome to the inaugural Point of Sale, the show where we break down great retailers, the supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. Each week, I'll bring an expert guest to cover a certain aspect or a segment of the retail supply chain. Today, we're talking parcels and returns because they go hand in hand, and calling my guest an expert would be a gross understatement. My guest today is Satish Jindal, the president of Ship Matrix and SJ Consulting. Satish brings over 30 years of industry experience and knowledge to the conversation, and he was a key founding member of RPS, which many of you know today as FedEx Ground. Satish, thanks for taking the time. I'm really looking forward to this. My pleasure. All right, Satish. So Ship Matrix, your data company, you estimated e-commerce demand generated a surplus of about 7 million packages per day above the capacity that the parcel network had to carry. Was this the most strained that you remember the parcel network being in recent history? In my 30 years plus of being in the parcel industry, it has never approached the levels that it did with 3 billion packages delivered between Thanksgiving and Christmas that compared with 2.2 billion in 2019 peak for 800 million packages more than what it did in 2019. And on a per day basis, even when the carriers had expanded their capacity with extra workers uh, operating on seven days instead of five days, it was still 7 million packages a day more than what their design network capacity was. So according to your data, how did they hold up? How did the carriers' delivery, on-time delivery rates look like uh, through the end of the holiday season? The carriers did a few things to manage that increase that they were expecting, or if they had not, the network would have choked and even more packages would have been piling up. So they put constraints on large shippers who may have been shipping 20,000 a week. They told them you could ship up to 25, but if we had more than 25 a week, they were not picking it up. And they put surcharges that used to be 30 cents in the peak of 2019. They were up to one, two, three, four dollars per package during this last week. And then some of them added deliveries on Sunday that they didn't have during the holiday time. The post office, which actually handles more packages than either UPS or FedEx, actually started delivering not just Amazon packages on Sunday, but all the other packages. So every carrier tried to add capacity temporarily that they could because a permanent capacity addition takes weeks and months and years to add, which requires building new buildings, putting sortation systems. So with all that temporary addition during the entire peak, all three of them did well. I can give you some specific numbers that during the five-week cyber five peak week, as it is called, FedEx was at 95.1% that compared with 94.6% during the peak week peak period of 2019. So they did better than 2019. UPS 
had the best results at 96.7, which compared with 96.6, which was also the best among the three in 2019. Post office did 93.2% during 2020 peak, that compared with 93.9 for 2019. So their number was down compared to 2019. But it needs to be understood that the post office, which could not put restrictions on what shippers could give it, when UPS and FedEx put a limit, they got those extra packages. So there were certain days in the peak season when the post office received 6 million packages in addition to what they were used to getting. And under that extra volume, if they performed at 93.2 compared to 93.9 from the prior year, I would still find that to be a fairly good number of how well all three of them performed. So it seems pretty remarkable, given the fact that they had so much excess, so much excess demand and they were able to keep rates pretty similar to 2019 numbers or even better for both FedEx and UPS. What lessons were learned this year? What lessons did the parcel industry going to take into 2021 and beyond from the 2020 elevated peak season? The one part that no one could have done and prepared for is how COVID-19 by itself and by the way different states managed the spread of it by asking non-essential business to close down. Many retail stores were closed and how that promoted growth of online shopping. There's nothing they could have done to prepare for it. So going forward, they need to do a good research and understanding of what part of the change that took place in 2020 will be a permanent change of converting from brick and mortar to online, which items will never return back to people going to the stores, which ones they will start to go back to stores when they open, and build capacity in the right parts of the network for the right kinds of packages. And I may add that large packages grew at a fairly large rate and company like FedEx put a separate network in place to handle those extra large packages that weigh 60, 70, 80, 100 pounds in order to handle them because they do bring a different challenge than a 10, 20 pound package that goes on a sorter. So they need to understand the changes that have come about due to COVID-19 that will be here in 2021, 22, and 2023. So let's talk about one of those changes. The one you mentioned was the shift from brick-and-mortar spending to online spending to, to e-commerce. That's obviously transitioned and created an excess demand or an excess uh, returns. So we've seen a, you know, a big emphasis on reverse logistics this year. Do you think, uh, you know, I saw that UPS had shattered its one-week returns record uh, last week for the amount of returns. It's something up 20 or 30% year over year. Is it as bad as everyone is expecting? Is there Are people returning goods, returning online orders uh, at, a, at an, a rate that the parcels are not able to handle? I don't think it's going to be of the kind that they can't handle it because uh, keep in mind the returns uh, at the most 
represent about seven or eight percent of everything that was shipped to them. So uh, it is not going to be a operational problem. It's more the retailers who make it easy for people to return that they will find the more they sell online, the more items will get returned and that will affect their shipping cost, that will affect their profit margins and it may be that they have to factor that, especially for the retailers who have an omni-channel that have brick and mortar stores and online, how they manage the return process whereby they encourage people who want to return items to bring it to the stores instead of trying to ship it back to them online because it will be a lower cost having that return come to the store and it also then helps the retailer say fine if you are returning something and you're getting 50, 60, 80 dollars back for the return that you will end up spending that at the store by buying something else. Satish, let's talk about one of those return strategies that I've seen implored uh, kind of more recently. It's by the bigger retailers. I've seen Walmart and Amazon both do it as well as Chewy and Target. It's this keep it option. It's so expensive for them, for you to, to return it to them that they just say, here's your refund, keep the good. Do you think that's something that sticks long term? And is it only something that the biggest retailers like Amazon and Walmart can do because of their scale? My view on long term management of the return is going to be very data-driven, very analytics-oriented, and every retailer who is selling online is going to have to figure out how do I bucket, compartmentalize my consumers and customers who have two or three different kinds of profiles for returning. One are those who are buying things without being judicious in what they need to buy, and saying, let me get four items and I'll keep one return three. The more they keep doing it, you as a retailer will need to find a way to make it less attractive for them to get four items and return three. Then there are customers who are buying things, using them, and returning it. That needs to stop because that is being subsidized by everyone else. So that's another data analytics value proposition they're going to have to do. And I know there are some big retailers, like even Best Buy, which is in electronics, they are monitoring the behavior of the consumers who are returning too frequently, too often, to segment them into the problem consumer and not make it attractive for them and just deny them ability to return. So that is a new frontier for online retail is to how do you manage the return process. Satish uh, Optoro, a reverse logistics specialist, released some survey data recently. It said that before the pandemic, about two-thirds of shoppers preferred to make their returns in-store. But as of October, seven months into the pandemic, about 60% of consumers were saying they preferred to use shipping firms to return their goods. So either taking it to a UPS or a FedEx or having uh, FedEx pick it up at your house the way that Walmart has rolled out their carrier pickup by FedEx. Talk to, me how, talk to me about how this change in behavior impacts reverse logistics providers and retailers. You know, it's a combination of how the retailers are, are uh, 
promoting the consumer's ability to buy something online and then be able to return. If I keep making it easy for people to return, no matter what the reason is, I'm spoiling their habit. And that's not good for any retailer. That's not good for the consuming public in general. And there are certain things the retailers need to do as part of building out the online retail model. And that is, I should make it easy for them and give incentives for the consumer to buy what they need to buy, such that ideally I should be able to illuminate any item from being returned. And the quality of information they share, the pictures, the dimensions, the various attributes of the product that people are buying need to be made available to them in a manner that even if you're buying clothes and there are different suppliers of apparel, uh, they small, medium and large and extra large may be different dimensions for one apparel company than for another one. So if I'm a consumer and I'm buying something from, let's say PBH Corporation, which makes Tommy Hilfiger, brand, it makes Calvin Klein brand, they may have a medium of Tommy Hilfiger that may be a small for Calvin Klein. So if I'm a consumer, I'm coming and buying, they know what I bought, that I bought a medium from Tommy Hilfiger, make sure I realize that the same size that worked for me of Tommy Hilfiger should be a small for Calvin Klein. Draw that to my attention so that I select a small for Calvin Klein and not get a small and a medium and large, and then return a medium and large. So they need to do a better job of taking the data of what I bought, what sizes I bought, which size I kept, which ones are returned. So the real goal is to eliminate any returns. That's my view. Yeah, this is something that I've grappled with over the last few months. The Every retailer has rolled out either free returns or as easy as a return process as it can get. They The terms like friction and seamless have become part of our everyday vernacular. But I also see you look at Shopify, who has added 3D imaging to a bunch of its websites, and that they were able to bring down returns by 40% using better imaging, using better uh, descriptions of products. So... It seems to me that there's so much focus on the post-transaction process of returns, on making it as easy and as frictionless to return, but there's not as much focus on the pre-transaction side, which are some of the things that you just mentioned, including imaging and leveraging data to ensure that there's no return in the first place. Do you think that retailers should be putting as much focus on the pre-transaction side as they are the post? They should be, and their retailers should be in when they go about selecting whether they use Shopify or they use whatever other options they have or Amazon fulfillment by Amazon, they should be factoring those attributes of their online channel in selecting which one they sell through because any return is a money-losing proposition. It seems like when you are giving people the option to have a frictionless return or a seamless return, you're kind of already giving up the fight there. You're just saying that the return is inevitable. Do you agree? Yes, it is not inevitable. And furthermore, I will even go beyond to say consumers who are looking to buy the right merchandise, the right size, the right color, the right fabric, whatever uh, attributes they're looking for, they do not 
like to get four items and return three, even if you make it easy, there's still a friction. I still have to put it back in the box. I still have to put it out in the mailbox for the postal lady to take it or be there for FedEx or UPS to pick it up. And if I'm not there and I leave it outside my front door for it to be picked up, I need to be protected from the porch thieves who may see that and run away with it. And then FedEx and UPS is not able to pick it up. And the merchant is saying, you never gave it to the carrier. And I'm having to prove, yes, I put it out. So uh, for everyone involved, other than for FedEx and UPS and the post office, a return is a losing, money-losing, inconvenient process that needs to be eliminated. Satish, online return rates for uh, purchases made online are about three times that made in physical stores. How long do you think it takes for technology, for retailers to, to implement the technology, for those numbers to close, for those numbers to come down and get closer towards a natural rate of return that you see at physical stores? You know, you will find those percentages are different based upon the product that people are buying. So, for example, if I, and this is a real example, uh, before covid I would, have, I would go to Home Depot to buy a filter for my house furnaces that I have, okay? There is nothing for me to touch and feel and like or dislike. I know it's a 3M brand. I know what size it is. And I would walk in, get a box of six of those and put them in my car and bring them and it would be $80, okay? If I ordered online, it's same $80. There is no reason I should be returning it. The return rate on that should be practically zero. But then when you talk about apparel, apparel people care about the fabric, they care about the color. So there will be a higher return rate. And this is where, as you mentioned, imaging, various attributes are important in the purchase decision. And then there are retailers who have taken the approach of having a showroom like Bamboo. Uh, Barnabas is a store that comes to my mind. You go to Barnabas and you don't necessarily buy and bring it home. You check out the material, you check out the size, you try it on in the fitting room. And if you like what you do, they send it to your home and you have it next day. In that case, I can assure you their return rate for apparel is lower than those who are selling it strictly through selection online. So the whole retail sector, depending upon the product they're selling, they're trying to find the best value proposition of information sharing, ordering, and return process. All right, Satish, I've got one last question for you. Let's go back to rapid delivery for a moment. So, you know, we've seen retailers like Petco, CVS, Bed Bath & Beyond, Sephora. We've seen a lot of major retailers that have gone to gig economy couriers for additional delivery capacity, usually same day or, or next day delivery. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think it sticks long term or do you think when the virus subsides, there'll be less demand for that rapid delivery when people can just return to the store and get what they need? You know, rapid delivery... Same-day delivery is, again, similar to other changes that have come about, which is, and those who think that the growth of e-commerce has come because of technology or because of uh, seeing better information about the product you're buying, I would challenge them all that they are 100% wrong. The growth in e-commerce has come from a very simple marketing concept which starts with one word free shipping 
And as long as they keep providing free shipping with one day or same day, people will want it, even if they don't need it. And we have done surveys that tell us 85% of what people get through Amazon in one day or two days does not get consumed or used for several days. They are not looking for speed. They are looking for certainty that, yes, if I order today with Amazon, they have two days, I know I'll have it on the second day. If all the retailers could get that certainty, you'll have it in three days because of where you are in the country based on where I'm shipping from or someone else is going to get it in one day because they are much closer to me or someone will get it on a fourth day and you confirm that to me at the time I'm ordering and you should be able to because once I log on to your website as a Mr. Retailer, you should know I'm located in Pittsburgh and if your shipping location is in Kansas City, you should know it is a two-day or a three-day. At that point when I'm ordering, let me know this is a three-day delivery. I am fine with it. And if you don't think it's going to be delivered on third day, on the second day, send me a notice that your third-day delivery is going to be an extra day. I am fine with it. Speed is not as important as certainty. So all retailers should not get caught into the Trojan horse of Amazon because Amazon is pushing for two days or one day because that's the way they are going to differentiate their value. Speed is not as important as certainty. So to your question that you asked, it's not about everyone rushing to make it one day or two day and trying to use gig economy workers because that all is going to come at a higher cost and no one wants to pay for that higher cost. So manage your value proposition. Yes, Satish, it does seem that there are retailers that are taking that advice. I saw a recent analysis from Gartner that said of the top 500 leading retailers from August 2019 to August 2020, 12.5% less of them are offering free two-day shipping and 30% less of them are offering free returns. So it seems they're moving towards that that mode for you. I want to thank you for the time, Satish. I want to give you the opportunity to give a shout out to your team or tell everybody listening to where they should go to find more information about uh, ShipMatrix or SJ consulting yeah they, they can check out our website uh, shipmatrix.com uh, they can do google on my name that you have used and uh, uh, we will make sure that all our shipmatrix customers are made aware of this podcast and wherever it will be available so they can listen to it and learn all that they can from it thank you Thank you so much, Satish. All right, everyone, that's all we got for the inaugural episode of Point of Sale, the show where we break down great retailers, the supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. Stay tuned for another episode next week, and go subscribe to the Point of Sale newsletter. You can go to freightwaves.com slash POS. See you guys next time.